deeply about marriage. You know, you, you, you fall in love with someone, you, you like the person that you're getting together with, uh, you kind of assume, okay, well, marriage is the next thing. And a lot of people assume that they already know what marriage is like. But they haven't really thought deeply about that question. What is marriage? What is this institution that I'm entering into? And of course, that question, it's not just how well you understand the person you're getting married. It also matters how much you understand the institution that you're entering into with that person. That will largely determine who you'll be as a husband or a wife. And I think the same is true with the church. A lot of you have been a part of churches. You've joined churches. The church has been a big part of your life. But have you really ever stopped and asked the question, biblically, what is the church? How do I understand what the church is? Is that something that you've ever thought deeply about? And so I'm really glad you're here today. We, we began a series last week where we're asking that question. And last week we talked about a lot of the things that the church is not. Right? We said the church is not a building. It's great when churches have buildings, but you know, as evidenced by us, Sutton Middle School is not Christ's covenant. No, the church is the people, and we, we just happen to gather here. We said that the church is not an event, right? So this is part of our church. This is a gathering of the people who make up our church. But this event is not the all of who we are. I always say 90% of who Christ's covenant is doesn't happen on Sunday morning. We said last week the church is not a brand, right? We're not, we're not just here to, to move forward some sort of brand or way of doing ministry that we set out. No, primarily... My goal, the other leaders of the church, our goal is to, to serve and equip and empower you. We want you to be on mission for Christ. And, and that goes along with another thing we said last week, which is the church is not a leader. Okay, it's great if churches have leaders. We, God certainly gives particular leaders to churches. But I think, we're going to talk about this more next week, I think a lot of times we get the, we get the design, God's design for the church reversed. A lot of people have the posture of, well, my job as a member is to give and maybe bring my friends to supply the preacher with money or with people so that he can do the work of the ministry to them. When actually the Bible says that the exact opposite is true. That it's the preacher's job, it's the, it's the leader's, it's the pastor's job to equip you to do the work of the ministry. You are spirit-empowered people if you're in Christ. Jesus says you are the temple, and not just a temple, a living temple. It is taking the very presence and truthfulness and the likeness of Christ out into the world every single week. We also talked about a lot of things that the church is. We said this idea, ecclesia, it, it's, a, it's a people who've been called out from the rest of the world. People who've been called out that... Are, believe something together, that attest to whatever that is that they believe together. Uh, the church is a people who've been called out to gather together for edification, for the worship of this God that we believe in. And the church is a people who've been called out to scatter back into the world that we've been called from for the sake of mission. So we're going to be talking about all of those things over the next uh, few weeks. But today we're going to talk about the first one, the, the church, this ecclesia, these people who've been called out. We are a people who believe. We are called out. We join together because we believe something together. And again, this is foundational for us. Tonight we're having our 
<coughs> first Sunday meeting, which is uh, what what I invite. If you haven't been to one, I would invite you to come. It's, it's a time to learn what it means, what it's like to be a part of this ecclesia, of this church. And one of the things that we spend most of our time on is our confession of faith, where we walk through what it is that we confess, what it is that we believe as a church. Believing, confessing together. This is, this is very central to who we are as a church. And our text today actually helps us to think a lot about this. It's a famous missions text. You've probably heard the Great Commission before if you've been around church for any time. You've probably heard it preached on like Mission Sunday. Um, but today, I want to kind of think about what it teaches us about the beliefs of the church. And it, and it helps us with at least three things. It helps us understand what we believe. It helps us understand how we believe. And lastly, it, it helps us understand what do we do with the things that we believe. So what do we believe? Well, the Greek word for belief uh, throughout the New Testament is pisteo. And it, it kind of has this essence of to believe into. Um, it's, this, is this, this is the word that is famously used in uh, John 3.16. Whoever believes in him, whoever pisteos in him, whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. And you can see the essence of it. Whoever believes in him, whoever is found in him, whoever believes into Jesus, right? It's, it's more than just, oh yeah, that's a nice idea. It's a, it's a giving yourself to Jesus. It's an identifying with Jesus. Throughout the Bible, uh, when Christianity or somebody who's become a Christian is defined, it's, it's someone who is found in Christ, right? Someone who is anchored in Christ. Someone who's resting in Christ. It's a, it's a strong idea of belief. It's not, it's not oh yeah, I, I know that to be true. It is a giving yourself kind of belief. In order to have any order in your life, in order to make any sense of your life, you have to paseo in something. You have to believe into something. You have to be anchored into something. This is one of the great problems of atheism and materialism. There's no anchor. The, 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 the conclusions, if you come here today and, and you claim to be an atheist, you know, I would, I would just ask you to think about this. The conclusions that, that you come up with, or that atheism or materialistic worldview comes up with, to the natural intuitions of man, aren't satisfying. We all have the intuition that there really is right and wrong in the world, right? We don't believe that right is just determined by might. Deep down, we know that there is such a thing as justice. There is such a thing as truth. There is such a thing as morality. We believe in things like love. We believe in things like beauty, right? And in an atheistic and material worldview, all of those things are just an illusion. There's no anchor for those things. C.S. Lewis has this famous quote. He says, it's very hard to say that you love someone if all you believe love is is a chemical reaction in the brain. If this is just something that's materially happening, it doesn't, it doesn't line up with the intuition that we have. In order to have any true meaning or true value, it has to be anchored somewhere. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day that said, well, you know, I don't believe in God. And I said, I, I don't believe that about you. It, it's epistemologically irresponsible for you to say that. Epistemology is like the, the study of knowledge. How do we know something is true? I said, you know, you always talk about the good and the true and the beautiful. I was like, I know you believe in those things. But you can't believe in those things and only be a materialist and only be an atheist. You have to anchor that 
somewhere, in something. And you see, that's what Christians do. We believe in something. We pisteo in something. We, we have been found in Christ because we believe what this text tells us, that all authority has been given to me, says Jesus. Jesus is the one who says, all authority has been given to me. You can anchor yourself in me because I am the immovable rock. I am the immovable foundation. All authority is mine. And not just all authority on earth. All authority everywhere. All authority in heaven and on earth. It's all been given to me. And in me, you can know what is true. You can know what is good. You can know what is right. You can know what is beautiful. It's found in me. All authority has been given to me. Now, a lot of times we preach this text <coughs> on Mission Sunday, and we say something like, all authority has been given me, says Jesus, and then he promises to be with you, even to the end of the age. So our conclusion is, you can go out in boldness, knowing that he'll protect you. And you can go out in boldness, but protection there may not ultimately be what you think of as protection. Now, Jesus is saying this to the very disciples, who all of them would end up dying for their faith. This gospel writer here, Matthew, from what we know about Matthew, he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Thomas, who was hearing these words, he was driven through with four spears in India, ministering the gospel. Andrew and Matthias were burned alive in Syria. And I could go on and on and on. Jesus was saying he has all authority, and he would be with the disciples. But that wasn't necessarily saying that he would keep them alive in this life. No, he was saying, look, I have so much authority that I have authority over this life and the life to come. And even if you die in this confused and fallen world, you can die knowing that you are resting on the one who has all authority in this life and in the life to come, in heaven and on earth. You can die resting on a true anchor. Christians are people who believe that Jesus has all authority. But we also believe that the one who has all authority has let himself be known. And one of the things that Jesus told his disciples <clears throat> on the last night that he was with them, he got them together and he said, look, I am going away, but I am going to send my spirit. We just confessed this. I'm going to send my spirit and he will guide you in all truth. And, and, and how the spirit so often guides us is by the word of Christ. This is why when we read the Bible passage, because the Bible was inspired by the Spirit of God. This is why I say, hear now the word of, I don't say hear now the word of the Holy Spirit. I say hear now the word of Christ. Why? Because what the Holy Spirit is doing through the Bible is ministering to us the very words of Christ. This is what he says in John 16. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, right? So whatever he hears from me is what's important. And he will declare to you all the things that are to come. And then in verse 14, he says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is just a little aside. But if you ever go to a church that talks more about the Holy Spirit than they do about Jesus, one thing you can know about that church is that the Holy Spirit is actually not there, Okay? If you go to a church that talks more about the Holy Spirit, we need to be talking about the Holy Spirit. But they talk more about the Holy Spirit than they do about Jesus. You can know that is not a Spirit-filled church. Because what do we know of the Spirit? 
He doesn't speak of his own authority. He takes what Jesus gives him, and he declares it's us. He glorifies Jesus. Now that's why when we read the scripture, we say, hear now the word of Christ. When you become a Christian, something happens to you. The Spirit ministers to you in a particular way. The Holy Spirit of God brings about what we call the new birth or regeneration. The Holy Spirit makes something come alive in you. I believe that everyone has some sort of knowledge of transcendence. We all believe in transcendence. We all believe there's something out there. But when this regeneration happens, when the Spirit comes alive inside of your heart, when you have faith in Christ and the Spirit of God comes alive in you, then you rightly see God. You rightly understand this anchor. The Old Baptist Catechism says it this way. The question is, how do we know there is a God? And the answer is, the light of nature in man, which is this sense of God, right? These intuitions that I just talked about. And the works of God, right? Everyone can look at the works of God and perceive that there is a creator, that there is an order in the universe. So the light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declares there is God, but his word and spirit only do effectually reveal him unto us for our salvation. It's when the word and spirit show you the truthfulness of God in your life. That's when you're saved. That's when you cross over. That's when you found the anchor. That's when you believe all authority, says Jesus, is mine. So what do Christians believe? Christians believe that Jesus has all authority on earth and in heaven, and that he has spoken and revealed to us how we should live and order our lives. Now, that means a lot. I could continue on that. And I know that sometimes that is a hard thing to hold on to. There are times when the, the word of Christ speaks something to me that is hard for me to believe. It's confusing for me to understand. And, and I just want to say, if you've felt that, then, then you're in good company. Because even Peter, right, even this is one of my favorite Bible passages. It's given me so much comfort through the years. Even Peter, this beloved disciple of Jesus. In John chapter 6, Jesus has fed 5,000 people. He's done all these amazing things. He's <clears throat> walked over water. But then the next day, as Jesus often does when he gets a huge crowd, his teaching becomes hard. And he starts saying, you know, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no place with me. And everybody leaves. The crowd begins to leave us. I don't know about this guy. I'm getting away from him. And then he looks at his disciples. He says, are you guys going to go too? And I love Peter's response here. This is from John chapter 6, verse 68. And 69, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the word that is authoritative, and we have believed, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We may not understand everything you're saying right now, Jesus, but we've come to believe that you are the one from God, that you have authority, and we can anchor our lives in you. So what do Christians believe? We believe that Jesus has all authority, and that he has spoken, and that in him we have an anchor, and we have an order, and we can know how to live the life that God has called us to live. But the second thing that this text, this Matthew 28 text teaches us, is how Christians believe. Now, again, if you've heard the Great Commission preached before, there's oftentimes... <clears throat> a lot of emphasis put on the word go. And I'm not saying that's not an important word. You may have thought that the imperative in the command is to go. But actually the word go, if you really understand 
the sentence. It's not, it's not a verb. It's not an action word in that way. It's a, it's a participle. Now, if you remember school, I actually got a little English diagram here. Can we get yeah, Okay. Now, this I don't. <laughs> now, again, I used to, you may have used to hate diagramming sentences, but it actually helps you understand what the sentence is. So, so remember, you draw the line. On the left side of the line was the subject. Very good. Who said that? Two points. Okay. On the right side of the line was the predicate. What is a predicate? The verb, right? It's the action. It's the thing that the subject does, okay? So, the subject, I don't know if you can see it, but the subject in the Great Commission is you, right? Followers of Jesus, disciples, you. you if you're in Christ, this is to you. But there's a participle right here that modifies the verb. Participles are verb forms that can act as adjectives or adverbs. In this case, it's an adverb. It's modifying disciple. And this is saying disciple as a verb or make disciples. You disciple, active. You go and make disciples. That's the, that's the essence of the text. But... Well, we'll get to the rest of this here in a second. So you could read the Great Commission like this. As you are going, as you're planning where God has you, as you're living in your neighborhood, as you're working in your job, as God may call you on the mission field, as God may call you to go play in church, but as you're going, as you're following God's will for your life, wherever that may be, you make disciples, right? It's not like we go sometimes and make disciples. No, as you're going... As you're living, in, in whatever you're doing, you be a disciple maker of, okay, object. What's the object here? Anybody know? Come on, guys. Nations, right? <laughs> make disciples of nations. Go make disciples of all the nations. Now, this Great Commission also tells us how we make disciples, okay? So how do you make disciples? It's over here. By baptizing them in the name of the Father, and there's a lot of like definite articles in there, very confusing, but <laughs> baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, we'll move, remove that as to not confuse you anymore. But what does it mean to make disciples? It means two things, according to the Great Commission, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach to observe or to teach to obey all God has commanded. Now, the reason this is important for us as we ask the question, what do Christians believe, is that if this is what it means to make a disciple, then we can also understand what it means to be a disciple. In order to be a disciple, you must be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you must learn to obey everything that Christ has commanded. So let's talk about that. What does it mean to be, first, baptism. What does it mean to be baptized? And why is this so important in the Christian life? Now, I've often said baptism and the elements in general, if you're kind of new to the Christian faith, these are the weirdest thing that we do. Why, when you become a Christian, do you get dunked in a body of water, as we're about to do today? Why don't you just get a t-shirt that says, I'm a Christian now, you know? <laughs> why don't you just get a tattoo or something? Why, why the dunking? Why, in order to remember Christ, do you eat a little breadcrumb and drink a little wine? That's a, why, what, what does that do with 
anything. And let me explain, I'm going to particularly explain this, uh, this idea of baptism. Baptism, and, and the, the Lord's Supper also, they're little <coughs> dramas that we do in the church to remember the story that we are a part of. And they're hugely symbolic. They carry huge symbolism. They're incredibly powerful. There's some Christians call these sacraments because there's a weight to them. In terms of baptism, all throughout Scripture, we see water okay, as a, as a sign of God's judgment. Think of the flood narrative. Think of Noah and the ark. Now, okay, we kind of teach that story to our kids. It's like the way we teach our kids what kind of animals there are. But it's really a terrifying story. The whole world is sinned against God, and God literally kills all of humanity with a flood. Except for eight people, except for Noah. It's one man that found favor in God's sight and his family. All of humanity is, is wiped out, is, comes underneath the judgment of God because of their sin, but God still provides a way of salvation. He gives them, Noah and his family, a boat, an ark, in order for them to pass through the judgment of God. They find hope, they find salvation through their faith in God. Later in the Bible, we see the people of Israel with their backs against a sea, their backs against a body of water. The Egyptian army is coming at them, and there's a sea behind them. What does God do? He provides a way of salvation. The waters part, and the people are able to walk across the sea on the dry ground, seeing the provision, seeing the salvation of the Lord. And then as soon as they get to the other side, they turn around, and what do they see? They see God bringing judgment on the Egyptians, the very ones who had scorned the name of God, the very ones that had, uh, that had cursed God's people, the very one that had forgotten about God. God brings judgment upon them, but God, for his people, provided a way of salvation. He provided a way for them to pass through the judgment. Think of the story of Jonah. Remember Jonah? God had given his prophet the command, go and preach. And what does Jonah do? He does the exact opposite. He runs away. He's sailing as far away from the people of Nineveh as he possibly could. But what does God do? God brings a storm on the sea. Jonah is thrown into the water. Judgment. He's going to die. He's left to drown, except for God, again, provides a very gross, but, you know, salvific form of salvation for him. In the fish. And Jonah is saved. He passes through the judgment of God. Even Jesus, many years later, he was asked, Give us a sign for these things. And what does Jesus say? He says, I'm not going to give you any sign except for what? The sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days in the heart of the earth, so too the Son of Man, or in the heart of the fish, the Son of Man will be three days in the heart of the earth. But you see, later on in the service, we're baptizing four people. And they all, when they get baptized, they are identifying with Noah. If you've been baptized, it's not the same experience but it's a, it's a type of a Noah experience. You should feel some of the same kinds of feelings that Noah felt when he was on the ark and realized that God had saved him and his family and he had not spared so many others. When you're baptized, you should feel some of the same kinds of feelings as that Hebrew man, when he looked out across the Dead Sea and realized that God had saved him from his enemies, that God had destroyed his enemies and he'd set him free and he called him to a new place and a new hope and a new kingdom. When you get baptized, you should identify with Jonah and feel some of the same kinds of feelings that Jonah felt 
when he realized that he wasn't dead, he was alive, and that God had called him on mission to go and serve him. When, when we get baptized, the reason this is so important is you're entering into the drama. You're entering into a new story. You're saying, my identity, my values, my order, my purpose is found here. It's found in God's story, not the other narratives that the world wants to tell us. I'm going to enter into this story. We do the same thing when we take the elements. We're, we're re-entering into this drama, this story. It's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a powerful drama. It's more than a t-shirt can do. It's more than a tattoo can do. But you aren't just baptized. You're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, why, why is that important? And, and, and in so many ways, the Trinity, what we confess, we just confessed it earlier, defines this new life that we have been called to. The Trinity, God being three yet being one, is nothing like anything else in the whole world. And if you are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you are called into a new kind of humanity, a new kind of life. It's a call to so many things. I, don't to, I, I wish I had a whole sermon on this, but let me give you two. It's a call to holiness, right? The Trinity is different. It's a different kind of existence. It's a call out of the rest of the world. Over and over in the scriptures, God says, be holy as I am holy. Be like me. Be different. There's so many implications here. It's a call to love. One of the things that the Bible says is that God is love. That's a very interesting thing to say. It doesn't say God is loving, right? It doesn't say God has a lot of love. It says God is love. God is the essence of love. God is the fountain of all love. And the only way that can be true is if you believe in the Trinity. Why? Because in the Trinity, you have three persons giving and receiving love perfectly for one another. And if you believe in this Trinitarian kind of love, as the Church Father says, the, the perichorus, or the perichoresis, if you believe in this kind of love, then, then you will love. It's a call to a different kind of love than you've ever experienced in your life. And that only happens when you enter into this story, when you enter into this identity. You know, I, uh, the world that we live in, most of us, naturally, we have to be very honest. And I won't make you raise your hand to be honest today. But most of us, we think a lot more about how we're going to get love than we do about how we're going to give love, right? We want to have a good position. We want to have plenty of money. We want to have a good reputation so that people will love us because we like to receive love. We know this. We're made in the image of God. We're, we're made to receive love. But what the Trinity can do is it can actually set you free, not to just be a taker of love, but to be a giver of love. Because in the Trinity, perfectly, forever, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give and honor and receive perfectly and wholly and fully love for one another. God is love. He is the fountain of love. And be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a call to holiness. And it's a call to love, to be different. And there's so much more. It's a it's a call to maturity. It's a call to mission. It's a call to unity. It's a call to servanthood. It's a call to mission. 
If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It's different. But being a disciple, I've got to keep going on. Being a disciple is more than just being baptized. It's also learning to obey all that Jesus has commanded. It's not just entering into the story. It's now living out the story. When, you're, when you become a disciple, it's not that you just enter into this new story. It's that you live out this story. You, you are baptized into the story, but then you learn to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And this is why preaching is so important, right? So we need this moment to consider the word of Christ. What has Jesus commanded? This is why we're so adamant about things like the rhythms guide here. We, we want you reading the Bible and praying through scripture and thinking about what is it that Christ has commanded and, and how can I live that out? This is why we want you in relational discipleship. This is why we're all, like our groups ministry, like Jed's group that he's starting this week. How do you live out? How do you obey um, the things that Christ has commanded? This is why we're passionate about things like the Covenant Institute courses. Why I really encourage you to come here, John, on Friday night. John is such a, he's a way better teacher than me. And he is so gifted and he's going to teach us how to pray like Jesus prays. Come and hear that. Consider how to live out, how to obey everything that Christ has commanded. But I want you to hear this. This is such a new way of life. I want you to remember this. The Christian life, again, is not just about learning everything that Christ has commanded. It's about learning to obey everything that Christ has commanded. Christians aren't supposed to just be smart. We're supposed to be obedient and this is why, I want you to hear this. This is why you need a local church. This is why you need to be a member, a part of a local church. Atlanta is a Christian product kind of city. You talk to people in Atlanta, and they say, I like music from these people. I like the preaching of these people. I like Bible studies from this organization. I go on mission trips with this organization. This organization helps me to disciple my kids, right? And again, I'm not against parachurch ministries or, you know, tools that we use to grow up. These are great. I celebrate these things. So this is not a knock on these things. But if that's your Christian life, I'm a, what I call a, a Christian product kind of faith, where you're kind of getting the different Christian products that are out there. And there's a lot of Christian products out there. And I don't think you can ever really learn to obey the commands of God. You can learn the commands of Christ. But it's very hard to learn to obey the commands of Christ. We need each other for that. You need a church for that. In a Christian product kind of faith, the product, if it isn't great, what do you do? You go get another product, right? You say, well, I don't like that music so much anymore, but Matt Papa just came out with a new CD. You go grab the other product. But in a Christian faith kind of you have to bear with one another. You have to learn to love one another, even when we're not good. Even when we're not perfect. Even when we're, even when we're offering you isn't that perfect. In a Christian product-centered faith, you're happy all the time, right? You ever notice like Christian product, Christianity is happy? Why? Because happiness sells, right? People want to be happy. But in a Christian people kind of faith, you can actually learn to mourn with them. You can actually learn to rejoice with other people, even when it's going hard for you. Because it's not all about you. 
It's not about you just being edified. It's about you being a part of a people. In a Christian product-centered faith, you're never really known because you aren't really together enough, right? You're with this group for this and that group for that. But in a Christian people kind of faith, you know, if somebody sits next to you in a worship service and they raise their hand and they take good notes, you might think to yourself, that person's obedient. But it's, it's not only until you see them in the nursery. Or it's not really until you see them having to disciple someone that's really hard. Or it's not, when you, it's not until you really see them discipling other people and, and, and serving things that need to be done for the group that you can really know if they're obedient or not. In a Christian product-centered faith, you're always the one in authority, right? You're the customer. It's all about you. But in a Christian people-centered faith, you actually have to submit to the authority of others, to the authority of the congregation and its leadership. But Christian products in your faith can teach you a lot about Jesus. It can teach you what Jesus commanded. But it's only a Christian people-centered faith that can teach you to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. That's why Jesus says, they'll know that you're my disciples by the amount of hours you consume Christian products. No, he doesn't say that. He says, they'll well, know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. What do Christians believe? They believe that Jesus has all authority. And we can anchor our lives on him and in his word. How do Christians believe? We believe through baptism, through entering into the story, and then by learning to obey everything he has commanded. And then lastly, and very briefly, what do we do if we believe? What do we do if we believe? I want to just say this. It's, it's only God's grace that any of us are here, that any of us know God, that any of us can even claim such a thing. It's only God's <laughs> kindness to us. What have we done to merit God's favor? Left to ourselves, we've all rejected the authority of Christ. Left to ourselves, we've all wanted to write our story instead of finding ourselves in God's story. Left to ourselves, we haven't obeyed everything Christ commanded. We've actually disobeyed everything Christ has commanded. But the good news for us is that for your sake and for my sake and for his own glory's sake, what Jesus has obeyed, for our sake and for his own glory's sake, Jesus found himself in God's story in the center of his Father's will. For our sake and for the sake of his glory, Jesus has been given all authority on heaven and earth. Jesus can conquer even death. If you find yourself in him, you have a hope, you have an anchor, you have a rest. And so what do you do if you, if you believe these things? Well, identify with them. Be baptized. Enter into the story. What do you do if you believe these things? Learn to obey everything that he has commanded. Become a part of a faith community. Join on mission with him. Go and make disciples with him. Live for his kingdom, his never-ending kingdom, where he is making all things and I can't think of a better way to end our service today than by hearing from and seeing four people that are here today who just that. And so I'm going to invite Melissa and Gunnar, Brent and Luke forward at this time. And we're going to observe together <coughs> this sign, this little drama whereby they're joining in and identifying with Jesus himself who passed through God's judgment on our behalf and who's been raised to new life and is there baptized 
they joined with him in this. And I invite you, if there's anyone here, your friends of uh, those who are being baptized, and I'm kind of, I can't really see where I am. You can move around. You can do whatever you need to do. Um, but Melissa is going to take her sock off, and then she's going <laughs> to start us um, in just sharing what God has done. Hi, my name is Melissa Dallin, and growing up, I belong to a Catholic church. As life started to get busy with school and sports, church started to fall out of my priority list. I fell into a pattern of wanting everything to be perfect and being in control of every aspect of my life. I had a plan for everything and expected things to always go according to that plan. If something didn't go my way, I would be completely thrown off because I thought I had everything in life figured out. Over the past year, I began to read the Bible. I quickly realized that I can no longer have a plan for my life. God has a greater plan for me, and the only way to live my life is by trusting his plan. I don't have to worry about being perfect because no one is perfect if Jesus died for our imperfections. I can live a life knowing that, I'm all, that I am flawed and that God's plan for me will always be greater than mine. Melissa, thank you for that amazing testimony of faith. It's been good to get to know you, and just I'm so excited about all that God um, has done and is doing in your life. So it says, as your brother in Christ is a part of this congregation, I have the honor of baptizing you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in baptism. Praise to all. Share this 
awesome moment together. So it is, as your brother in Christ, and as a part of this congregation, that I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Grace to walk. Hi, my name is Luke. Um, I'm excited to share my story with you. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, not too far away, uh, in a Christian home with a Christian family that I'm very thankful for. Uh, and it's really, as long as I can remember, uh, I was a good Christian kid, but I was really, I was really not. It was all fake. Uh, <coughs> I was really a people pleaser, and I wanted to please my parents with school and sports and um, socially with friends to try to be cool and uh, really left me just broken, empty, hollow, hollow is the word I would I used to describe myself the most before Christ. In my senior year of high school, I was at a youth retreat of all places, I think, so it feels like so many of them. Um, and it's, I'm glad for that. Uh, but that was the first time that I encountered, or the Lord softened my heart and made me aware of my sin and how just despicable, uh, I, mean, I despised it. For the first time in my life, I truly despised my sin, saw it fully, and in the same moment, the Lord showed me His grace and goodness. Uh, and it's so powerful. I'm going to read through my notes, so I'll skip. So from that point, um, that weekend, I, I knew Christ in my heart. I, I knew a lot of the right answers before I grew up in church, um, but I was saved at that, at that point, I believe. Um, and from then, not a lot changed outwardly. I was still a good Christian kid, um, but inwardly, everything had changed, um, and I had meaning, depth, so meaning in life. I had a purpose. Went through college as a believer and sought out um, a church there and accountability there. And I'm by no means sin free at all, but uh, my life has been forever changed by it. And I'm excited to be here today um, to proclaim to you visibly and symbolically that uh, I identify with Christ, as we said today. And that's not on my undoing, it's a gift from Him. And yeah, I'm really excited about that. And Today, I hope, let this be a testimony. Um, if I can be changed, if we can be changed here, you can baptize before you, then you can too. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks. Well, Luke, thank you for that. So powerful and so helpful, and praise God. So now it's a brother in Christ. And on behalf of this congregation, and I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in baptism. Christian home, um, you know, they provided everything they needed, 
uh, throughout high school, uh, in a relationship with Christ, uh, doing mission trips, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, it was when uh, I left for college, you know, you get on your own, left for college and uh, decided that I thought I could do, uh, run my life on my own. And with that, uh, my relationship with Christ started to drift further further away. And at one point, there really wasn't a relationship with Christ anymore. Um, I, uh, I was going down a path that, um, that wasn't good. I was doing things uh, that were hurting myself, hurting people around me. <coughs> and I was so blinded by sin that I didn't think anything was wrong. And I just kept on going down that path. Um, it was um, it was a couple years ago. Um, is when I hit rock bottom. Um, I was uh, I was in a uh, car wreck one night, and um, it really uh, forced me to take a step back and look at where I was in life and how I was treating myself and how I was treating the people around me and how blinded I was and how much I was in the dark. Um, but it's, it's amazing at that rock bottom, uh, Jesus met me at that rock bottom and Jesus broke me that night so he could rebuild me. And, um, it was actually shortly after that, I had a friend that invited me to come here and, uh, listen to Jason speak. And it's amazing it's that one sermon, it's like, I knew I was meant to be here. I found a home. And I met with Jason after that. Um, we went out and uh, met at one of the restaurants around here. And, um, and he invited me to the Tuesday night Bible study. And I got to go join all those people over there, all those new friends I have over there now. And um, it's amazing. The doors kept on opening after that. And Jesus was opening doors and more doors. And I just kept on saying, yes, I'm going to go to this. And yes, I'm going to go to that. And, it allowed me to really see what a true relationship with Christ is and to actively work on your relationship with Christ and how he'll provide for you because he's in control of your life. And when you control your life, you'll fail. But when he's in control of your life and you give up your life to him, that he'll provide whether, you know, whether you're falling or whether you're, you know, up high, he'll keep on providing for you. And, um, and, uh, and y'all taught me, you know, what it is to actively pursue Christ, to actively live with Christ, and to not control your own life, but to let him control and always provide. And um, it's amazing. I mean, Jason, you said something the other week, uh, Tuesday, you said sin lives in darkness. And for so long, I was living in darkness, and I had no idea. And I'm proud to say today that out of darkness and Jesus with me and whether it's up or downs I know that he'll always be there with me and um, just proud that I can come before y'all in this great community and this church family that I found and, and get baptized in front of this family. Mm -hmm. You know everything else in the world is we're accepted when we're at our best. Mm -hmm. 
Jesus is the one that has this way of fighting this very very worst. And praise God for that. Friends, brother in Christ, and uh, part of this congregation, it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bear in Christ in baptism. We're going to stand and sing and celebrate and respond to the things we've seen and heard today. Let's stand together.